Josh here with the IDP show. Now, look, if you know anything about our show, you know we're three mid-30s dads rolling into the So Shack every week at about 9 p.m. to record a fantasy football podcast. We've got kids, we've got jobs, so we are worn out when it comes time to record, which is why I'm excited to share about our newest sponsor. It is Liquid IV, which is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. Y'all, in just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use this first thing in the morning, before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out. So what do we love about Liquid IV? Convenient packaging, you just rip the top off and pour it into your water, shake it up and you're ready to go. Comes in a bunch of amazing flavors. I love strawberry lemonade and watermelon are my two favorite. And one stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. 12 delicious flavors. I mentioned a couple. They're refreshing. They're going to keep your hydration routine exciting so it's not the same old flavor time and time again. It contains five essential vitamins, y'all. Listen to these B vitamins, B3, 5, 6, 12, and vitamin C. It's got three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks made with premium ingredients. It's non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV, they believe that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. So they partner with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated, listen to this y'all, over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. So we are very excited to partner with them. And if you want to try it out, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use our code IDP show at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code IDP show at liquidiv.com. Check it out and tell them the IDP show sent you. This is the IDP After Show. Hey everyone, a huge welcome to the IDP After Show Rankings episode. I'm Jace Abbey and I'm going to be breaking down some of the juiciest players in my week 7 rankings. Usually at this point I'll introduce an amazing guest whose rankings we compare with my own But tonight, for one episode only, you guys are lucky enough to just have me. Now, don't worry, it's still going to be packed with all the info you need to navigate week seven of the fantasy calendar. And it's not an easy week, right? We've got six teams on a bye, uh, meaning we're scrambling around trying to find players that we can start. But hopefully, that's where I can come in. Uh, I'm going to highlight some of the best and worst players at each defensive position based on form, matchup, opportunity, and more. And this will involve a handful of deep dives on some featured players, as well as the new quickfire segment where I give you a short list of a bunch of guys who I either like or don't like for the week. So there should be something for everybody, regardless of how deep your league is. Um, But yeah, enough with the preamble. 
let's kick things off by talking about linebackers. Now, first up is a guy who has risen or rather sort of reinstated his place in my rankings for week seven, and it's Micah McFadden. He's my LB41, one behind JOK and one ahead of N'Kobe Dean. Uh, yeah, so look, many of us kind of wondered if he'd re-establish himself in the lineup after a one-game absence due to injury. Famously in his place, the Giants turned to Isaiah Simmons, who, who put up 10 tackles uh, against the Dolphins. It was a team-leading 10 tackles, um, tying, tying Bobby O. But McFadden not only won his job back last weekend against Buffalo, uh, relegating Simmons to his smallest snap share of the season, but McFadden also saw a season-high 79% snap share himself. And the results were great. He had nine combined tackles, an interception, a QB hit, and two QB hurries. Now, it's going to be a challenge, we know this, to, to come close to replicating those numbers while he's missing, what, 20, 25% of his team's defensive plays each week? And that's why he's listed below some of those other guys who who do have larger roles for their teams. But I feel like, you know, he's a pretty safe bet to fire up as a an LB4 in a week, like I've said, where you've got six teams missing. The number of options out there have been depleted. Um, even against, I think, a commander's team who's playing this week, who typically don't give up a lot of tackles to linebackers. So, yeah. Uh, and so to the quickfire list of of other linebackers who I've, I've shown a bit of love to in my in my rankings for week seven. And it starts with Dorian Williams, who uh, appears to have easily beaten Tyrell Dodson in the uh, in the race to help replace Matt Milano. Um, so Williams had a an 84% snap share to only 5% for Dodson. And Williams finished with nine combined tackles. It it just looks like his job to lose. Next up, Devin Lloyd, his his poor form earlier in the year. And his two-game absence uh, when the Jaguars came to London made made us kind of wonder whether Muma would eat into his role, right? Um, but the, the answer was a clear nope. You know, uh, Lloyd played all but two defensive downs last week. Next up, Patrick Queen. The sack volume might be more difficult to, to achieve against a, a, a tough Detroit Lions offensive line, um, but they do tend to allow a solid volume of tackles to opposition linebackers. Um, and yeah, N'Kobe Dean. Uh, I mean, they're clearly easing him in. Uh, his role isn't yet big enough to to make me trust starting him as anything more than a than an LB4. Um, but I'd be surprised if, if we didn't see his role grow steadily over the next few weeks. Um, looking at around 60, 75% if I was forced to put a number on it um, within the next two weeks. Uh, and maybe, last but not least, or- Oren Burks if uh, Dre Greenlaw can't get healthy in time. So, yeah, those are the linebackers I like. The guys I don't like. So my first featured guy at the position, linebacker who I don't like, is Nicholas Morrow. Uh, he's my LB49. One behind Jelani Tavai and one ahead of Christian Roseboom. So why? It's, it's simple. Uh, Nicobe Dean is is back. Uh, we knew it would affect either Cunningham or Morrow, and I'm pleased to say that that John Macri and myself correctly guessed on his week six preview uh, pod that it would be Morrow who was going to be the guy who would be hit the hardest. Now, 
you know, the snap share split that we saw had Cunningham with 75%, Morrow in second with 55 and Dean following up in, uh, in third with 49%. But as I said earlier on, we've got to imagine Dean's role is going to continue to grow and it looks like Morrow is going to be the guy that misses out. You know, he had a couple of bright spots with that three-sack game. Um, but yeah, his his involvement and uh, soon his production will come to a, a skidding halt. So yeah, fading Morrow. Quick list of other linebackers I'm fading this week includes guys like uh, Drew Tranquil. He was the biggest loser following uh, Nick Bolton's return to the Chiefs lineup. A 37% snap share. That's not helping anyone. Jerome Baker and David Long. So we've kind of flip-flopped at times between these two guys as the season's been wearing on when the Dolphins don't seem to to, to, to realize who it is that they prefer. But uh, last week was the first week we saw Jalen Phillips coming back, Van Ginkle playing a few more snaps in that sort of off-ball linebacker role. And sadly, it's affected both Baker and Long. I don't know if either of them are guys that we can trust on a weekly basis going forward, unless maybe in a week like this, we've got we've got a lot of guys on a bye. Uh, and I'm keeping a close eye on guys like Eric Kendricks and Josie Jewell. Um, neither guy has really returned to that sort of every down role that I expected to uh, them to after they recovered from injury. Um, and that, you know, as I've said before, they can still be productive. Both guys were kind of reasonably productive last week, but over time when you're missing... 15, 20, 25% of your team's snaps, it adds up. So yeah, their week, their seasonal finishes might be not what I, I expected them to be if they don't start to assume those every down roles. So taking back those roles from Kenneth Murray and uh, Alex Singleton. Let's see what happens. So defensive line. Uh, the defensive lineman I want to highlight for positive reasons this week is uh, Jonathan Allen, first and foremost. So he's my DT3 or my DL16. That's one behind Josh Sweat and one ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, so he's the guy on the defensive line I want to talk about for the commanders, but I really could have chosen anyone in their front four. The, the Giants' offensive line has been so, so bad through the first seven games. You know, a lot has been made about the fact that Commanders and, and Sam Howell have allowed the most sacks in the league, but the, the Giants are right up there with, with them, surrendering 32 sacks, only two behind the Commanders, despite having fewer dropbacks between Daniel Jones and, and Tyrod Taylor. Um, you know, a lot of the blame for the Giants' issues has been directed at their offensive tackles. Um, Andrew Thomas, who, who's clearly their best player at, uh, on that offensive line, he's missed the last five games with a hamstring injury. He's been sorely missed, in fact. So, But the interior is also poor. they got guys like Mark Lewinsky and Ben Breederson. They're just horribly inconsistent. So, yeah, if that wasn't bad enough, they've also got a few injuries that are carrying into the week too. Um, and Daniel Jones doesn't look fully healthy himself. You know, look, enter, enter Jonathan Allen. Uh, now, Allen hasn't been bad this year, far from it. Three sacks in six games. He's tied ninth amongst all interior defensive linemen with 20 pressures, and he ranks third at the position in combined tackles, so giving you a bit of a weekly floor as well there. But he is a little way off the pace uh, in terms of what we saw him do in the last few years when he finished with uh, 10 and 8 sacks respectively. 
But I think this is a game where he can really take advantage of that of that porous Giants offensive line. So to the quick list of the other guys with favorable matchups on the defensive line this week, all of the other commanders, as I said. So Chase Young, Montez Sweat, maybe maybe Deron Payne. Um, but, but there's a few guys on the other side as well, right? So we got Kayvon Thibodeau, possibly Dexter Lawrence, still waiting for that, uh, that, that first breakthrough sack, but still playing well. And if you're desperate, um, Leonard Williams as well. Right? So there's, there's, these guys are playing against a poor offensive line too. Who else? Max Crosby. Um, I try not to mention the most obvious guys because who's, who's dropping a player like Max Crosby, right? Um, but yeah, he's my DL1 and has been for two to three weeks. He's going up against the, the Bears, I believe. So yeah, he obviously in incredible form. And he's gonna have. He could feast. He should feast this weekend yet again. Rashan Gary is a guy I'm interested in seeing what he can do. Um, he he just needs a healthier snap share. Uh, I mean, there's easing a guy along, and then there's just dragging it out over the course of half a season, right? Fortunately for for Gary's fantasy managers, he's he's still got it done um, despite playing. You know, twenty, thirty percent of uh, of the available snaps, which is which is way below what we want it to be. Thankfully, last week we saw forty seven percent, and we just hope that continues to grow. Um, this week, this weekend, he goes up against the Broncos and Mike McGlinchey. Uh, McGlinchey's allowed the fifth most pressures and the second most sacks. So this could be a huge week for Gary. Just need him to start playing a little more. Uh, and so to the defensive lineman, I'm fading in week seven. The featured guy is a guy that might sound like a bit of an odd nomination. So I've gone with uh, AJ Epineza. Now he's my edge 26 or DL 33, one behind Nick, Nick Benito and one ahead of Jalen Phillips. And like I say, it might seem like an odd nomination because he's playing some of his best football. Four sacks in the last five games. PFF rush grades that are off the charts in his last two, but you know I like to look a little bit deeper than that. And here's what I see. A guy who is usually mired in a deep rotation, but who has been playing without guys like Greg Russo, Shaq Lawson, and Von Miller at times. And last week, with all five of those guys fully healthy for the first time, Epinesa's snap share dropped from 67% the week before to just 27%. Now, you've got to believe Von Miller's role will continue to grow as he gets healthier. And let's not forget that Epineza isn't exactly head and shoulders above the rest of the Bills' edge rushers of late because we've got Lloyd uh, Leonard Floyd, who's been on a tear, Greg Russo, who has three sacks in his last three games and I think remains one of the most underrated uh, edge rushers in football. But he's also playing against the Patriots' offensive line, who... Yes, they've been poor. The only player on that offensive line who has performed well this year is Trent Brown, the Patriots' left tackle, and Epinesa is one of the few Bills edge rushers who sticks almost exclusively to one side. And unfortunately for him, this week, that's Brown. Now, in a week like this one, where many of our studs are on a bye, I understand that trying to find a DL2 or even a DL3 as good as Epinesa is going to be a struggle. But if you can find a comparable option, I recommend you do so. So moving on to the quickfire list of other guys with unfavorable matchups. Uh, I don't like Christian Wilkins this, this weekend. Um, that Eagles offensive line, they've, 
they've completely shut down Aaron Donald and Quinn and Williams in the last two weeks, arguably the two most talented interior defensive linemen in the league. And they can do the same with Wilkins. And while I'm here, you can include the other Dolphins uh, pass rushers here too. So Bradley Chubb, Jalen Phillips, just don't like, don't like their week seven outlook. Uh, Justin Madubuike of the Ravens. Uh, he's been running hot lately, hasn't he? With five, five sacks in six games. But Frank Ragnar and co are one of the main reasons that Lions offense is doing what it's been doing. And lastly, DeForest Buckner. He's going up against the Browns. That, uh, that Browns offensive line has its weaknesses, but it's on the edges. They're, they're stronger in the interior. So don't really like Buckner's matchup this week. So on to the defensive backs. So my, my DB riser for the week is a guy that's not really been getting it done the last few weeks, and it's Javon Holland. He's my DB and safety nine, one behind Josh Metellus and one ahead of Julian Blackman. Um, so as I say, he's had a quiet two games after starting off the season red hot. But the Dolphins uh, versus the Eagles is probably going to be a shootout. And Johnny the Greek talked about this in the cornerback corner article. The Dolphins defense may be on the field for, for sustained drives. It also helps Holland that uh, the Eagles allow one of the highest tackle efficiencies to opposition safeties. So even if Holland doesn't produce the big plays that we so sorely want, there is optimism he can at least provide a safer weekly floor than that which we've seen from him in the last few weeks. So... Uh, let's do a quick rundown of other safeties we like this weekend. We've got Jabril Peppers. He's on my radar because, you know, he's been a bit hit and miss. Uh, he all but disappeared two weeks ago, I think it was, when he had something like two tackles. But he did rebound last week with eight tackles and a pass breakup. And I find it kind of interesting that he's been keeping pace with, and on occasion exceeding, the snap share of, of Kyle Duggar, who everyone loves. So that's something to, to keep an eye on. Uh Devin Witherspoon, he's another guy. He continues to light it up, uh, not only in terms of his, his production, but also in terms of how well he's actually playing, especially when they've moved into the, uh, the slot, predominantly into the slot for the last two games. So he's a, he's a corner that's risen on my board. He might be on my CB1 this week, I forget. And Jamal Adams, we saw him make uh, a very brief but impactful debut the other side of the Seahawks by before playing 85% of the defensive snaps last weekend. I mean, the results weren't great. Four, four tackles and a QB hit wasn't anything to get too excited about, but I think better days are ahead. And like I say, I like that snap share. 85% is pretty healthy. Um, my DB fallers then. So Julian Love, uh, safety 43, DB 57, one behind Kirby Joseph, one ahead of Pat Satan. I mean, what, what happened? The guy's role was seemingly affected by the last player I mentioned, so Jamal Adams. Uh, he fell behind both Adams and Diggs in the pecking order on the day, not even playing half of the available defensive snaps. I would have removed him from my rankings altogether, but I need to be convinced that the knock he got early in the game wasn't a factor. When healthy, Love has been serviceable with 38 combined tackles and three pass breakups. But unless we see a sharp rise in his involvement this week, his future just doesn't look bright. Now, joining him on my list of DBs I'm fading for week seven are Marcus Williams, uh, who John Harbour said is iffy to play against Detroit. Bit of an obvious one there. Miles Bryant, 
who appears to be losing some playing time to JC Jackson, who the Pats acquired or reacquired from the Chargers a few weeks back. And there's Trey Brown of the of the Seahawks. Now, he's been lighting it up when he plays, and he deserves to be more involved. But he's behind Witherspoon. He's got um, Tariq Woolen there too. And he's been playing at or below three quarters of the available snaps in three of the four games he's played. And that makes me worry that he might drop off. So sell high even on uh, on a Trey Brown type if you can. Uh, so that's us done. Uh, it's usually at this point I would thank my guests for their insight and analysis. But as it's just me... Uh, I'll instead thank the audience for indulging uh, in nothing but me on today's show. I'm going to make it up to you all next week by having the amazing John Macri of PFF on as my guest on the show. So please tune in for that. In the meantime, you can find me on X at Jace Abbey. And as usual, my weekly rankings, uh, which includes 200 guys across five different IDP positions, is available at theidpshow.com. But for now, and until next time, thanks and bye. This was the IDP After Show. <laughs>